Welcome to This Week in Craft Beer, the podcast, a weekly show where we interview the people making the magic happen in the UK craft beer scene, sponsored by Polykeg, the best performing and easiest to use one-way keg on the market. This Week in Craft Beer publishes the UK's leading craft beer newsletter every Monday morning by email. To subscribe for free, please visit our website at thisweekincraft.beer. I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast Gavin and Alex from Pillars Brewery, based in Walthamstow in North East London. Pillars founders Gav and Omar started out homebrewing in a garden shed before launching Pillars in Walthamstow in 2016 as London's first specialist craft lager brewery. Gents, please introduce yourselves and tell me about your beer journey and how you came to start and or join Pillars. Hi there, I'm Gavin, one of the co-founders of Pillars Brewery. I am also the head brewer. The journey started back in 2013 when I was working in the city and I was looking for a career change. We had always loved craft beer. And at that point, we realized that there was no genuine craft lager specialist in the capital. Camden were around, but they were doing other beers as well. So we, uh, I felt like there was an opportunity to brew that kind of beer in London and do it really well, like the Germans do. So our journey started back in 2013, where I then spoke to my friends, Omar, and his two brothers, Sammy and Eamon. Omar had met a university, which I think you mentioned earlier, and they say the rest is history. But we spent the next three years learning how to brew. So brewing in a garden shed, as you said, went on various courses. We were banging out four batches every six weeks or so. We had some really good ones. We had some terrible ones, and we learned a lot from that process. And I think putting the time into physically going through that practical learning process really set us up to to open in 2016. So yeah, it's great working with friends and especially it's essentially a family business with brothers as co-founders. So that's where we started. Um, About a year or so into that, we brought in Alex, who's also on on this call, who is our head of sales who is also a friend of the family, but I'll let Alex introduce himself. Cheers, Gav. So it's uh, Alex from Pillars, head of sales, as Gav mentioned. I've been around Pillars since uh, 2016. In fact, before then, I was... I went to Gav's flat for the first tasting session many years ago. <laughs> so I, again, similar to Gav, in fact, um, I'd spent about 10 years working professional services in the city. So law firms, accountancy firms, the total opposite of the, the craft beer world. And after 10 years, similar to Gav, really, I just decided I needed a change. So I quit my job and I took a couple of months off and I went traveling for a bit. And then Eamon, who is one of the brothers that Gad mentioned, one of Omar's brothers, he got in touch and said, look, we're looking for someone to come in and we want them to deal with sales, but we want someone to be a part of the family. We want someone to stick around for a long time because as is the case, you know, salespeople come and go. And that was exactly what I'd wanted to do, to be honest. And it kind of occurred to me after thinking about it for a while, if I couldn't get out of bed to sell beer with my mates, then... Nothing was going to get me out of bed. So uh, here I am, about a year, <laughs> nearly two years in. Like learned a huge amount. It felt like a very, a totally alien world at first. You know, I'd always been selling services as mm-hmm. opposed to kind of products. And now we, it's a totally different environment way of doing things. But the creativity it allows, the way that we communicate with each other, you know, the way that we make decisions is exactly why I left a super corporate, well-paid job to come and do something I love and haven't looked back since then. Very good. So let's slight break with tradition in the way that I usually run these podcasts because I'm drinking this first beer so quickly. We need to talk about it before it's all gone. So uh, <laughs> so let's uh, let's crack straight in. That's and, a good time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I usually go about ten minutes and then say, "Oh, let's talk about the beer." But it's no good. If we wait ten minutes, it's going to be a distant memory. So this is your uh, Pilsner four percent. Tasting notes on the bottle say the Eternal Crowd Pleaser. 
This pilsner is crisp, clean, and refreshing. A gluten-free lager packed with pine and citrus flavours. It couldn't be going down any quicker or more smoothly. Give us your thoughts on this one, gents, and let's get into it. Yeah, so it's it's our biggest seller, and probably because you know you've identified the reason for that. It's very easy to drink. We brew this beer with our German, uh, our house yeast, which comes originates from Germany, and the idea of this beer is it's gluten-free. It's really accessible. It's low ABV, so we're just trying to make it as accessible as possible, but at the same time, really clean, crisp, enjoyable experience to drink. So it has flavor, but it's really quite light, which is, I guess, why you're drinking it so quickly. Um, <laughs> the main flavors and smells I get on the nose are, are mostly pine and citrus, which it says on the bottle. We use single hop Amarillo in this beer. So with all of our lagers, we brew the beer in a very traditional German way. It takes us six weeks to manufacture the beer. And the main twist that we do as a brewery is we use more modern hops than would be used in traditional lagers so right. we're using amarillo which comes from washington state in in the west coast of the usa uh, yep. in this one alex you got anything to add to that i think coming at it from a from a marketing angle you know when you think of pilsner it's kind of like an entry-level lager for a lot of people it's it's a really recognized style and, and something which i learned a few weeks ago was that something like three out of every 10 pints of beer sold in the world is a pilsner um right. so that takes wow. in stout and every other style of beer which i That's think nuts, says yeah. a lot and as gav has said for us pilsner is a way of introducing people to a very accessible style of lager the gluten-free the vegan friendly the four percent abv and the fact that it is just so you know, such a light easy drinking lager I think that's how I kind of see it in, in what we do. It, it's a very accessible, it's, it's mainstream. It's a great way of introducing people to the fact, you know, lager doesn't have to be, when you think of lagers, you think of warm cans of Stella. Um, and I think this is a pills that proves that doesn't have to be the case. <laughs> Definitely. I would say the carbonation is quite light as well, which I appreciate. I think that that obviously helps the, the drinkability, doesn't it? Although, you know, what, what's your thoughts on, on carbonation, Gav? Yeah, we purposely stick to the lower end of the range in our mm. small pack bottles and yeah, again, kind of hit the nail on the head. It's it's a focus on trying to be more drinkable. The more the more bubbles you put through in, through there, the slightly more bitter it makes it as well, slightly more astringent. But that's kind of quite nuanced. But the real reason is to deliver a beer that is highly sessionable, essentially. You say this is your biggest selling beer. What's the split between draft and and packaged? Uh, so pre-COVID, we were ninety six percent draft, four wow. percent package. Mm-hmm. Um, we set ourselves up to be a keg led business. Yeah we that was a strategic choice we felt that most people want to drink lagers from from draft in pints um that's where the volume is and that's what our focus was from the beginning now we are hardly selling any kegs because we're in lockdown so it's mostly small pack stuff but i would envisage we'll probably move the the decision to move into bottles for us we were previously in cans and we will be bringing cans out next year but the decision to move from cans to bottles was a conscious decision based on the fact that when we first started, we were in a craft beer universe that was all ale uh, driven and everyone was moving into cans. So we kind of followed that trend and, and, and tested the market with that. But what we quickly realized is a lot of people, because of the nature of a lager being cold, crisp, refreshing drink, um, people tend to prefer it out of a bottle. And that was just something that we found a surprise, if we were honest. We still think cans are going to sell exceptionally well next year when we bring them back, but we wanted to start with a single single type. Um, and 
that's that's the reason we moved into into bottles just to explain to people that can't see what i'm holding here we we've always done things slightly differently as a brewery obviously launching a lager specialist brewery is is fairly unique certainly in london there's lots of reasons why that is which we can go into later but we've always tried to do things differently we we launched an IPL called Untraditional Lager to start with, which has now been rebranded into Hop Lager, which yep. I think we'll taste a bit later. So what we've done is we have the bottles we have are unique to the market. They're mm-hmm. short, stubby bottles. As far as we're aware, we, we don't know any competitors that use that type of bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are quite unique and will they look different to your standard 330ml bottle on the shelf. So we're hoping that that, that stands out enough to make the move into bottles make sense. That's my bit on bottles. So I've gone from sort of full confession here. So you sent me some information last week about your rebranding that I'm sure, you know, we're going to get into shortly. And I scanned through that and, and sort of got to the line where you said, and we've taken a decision to move from canning to bottling. And I, my jaw sort of dropped because that's so counterintuitive to what everybody's doing in the craft beer market that I was stunned to read that. But I've since come to terms with it over the past couple of days sort of thinking about this conversation and and i now think it's brilliant and it's it's brilliant partly because it's counterintuitive and so you need everybody needs to stand out in the market you need to have something different to position your business and so this is a great start down that road but i also totally get that you couldn't do this with with any other beer and i don't know to call lager a beer star is a grave sort of disrespect to it but let, let, let me get away with that just for, for the purposes of this sentence you couldn't get away with moving any other kind of beer style to bottles it only would work with with lagers and you're right i think people probably do expect a lager to be in a bottle and so yeah i think it's a great move and it will give you something different to talk to people about it's it will give you perhaps more access to shelf space even possibly i don't know because as soon as everybody's if your beer's going into cans these days you're competing with the mass of the market aren't you to, to try and find someone that's going to put your beer on a shelf and so the fact that you've you've made that move into a craft product but in a bottle i think should stand you good stead it was a very conscious decision to you know, so when i think of the first people that went into cans uh, i don't know six years ago or whatever it was i almost think we're hoping that this is is so unique that in five years time people will think of us as the people that were the first people that went back into small bottles or stubby bottles and you're right it's definitely a decision that was marketing led and we wanted to be different and that's really hard to achieve in in a very crowded market but as we're offering something so unique in terms of a specialist lager from a specialist lager brewery if you think it fits really well being different so i think yeah you've you've explained it really well yeah and i think just to kind of build on that like I think what we want to do, as Gav mentioned, you know, the craft beer scene in the UK is is very ale heavy and, and there are so many great ales out there uh, at IPAs, pale ales, there's so many great breweries doing amazing styles and we don't really want to compete with those guys. We want to complement a lot of those ale focused breweries and I think that with the bottles, it kind of allows us to do that. We are trying to elevate people's perception of lager as well as get them into this this brand. We want to educate and elevate the kind of perception of lager. And I think that the bottles help to do that. They make the process and the experience of drinking the lager a more elegant, refined process. It allows us to express ourselves on the bottle in a way that I don't think cans would allow us to do. And as you said, it, it just is very striking on the shelf when you look at the rest of the craft beer lineup that's kind of going on in the UK. Yeah, and I think obviously we've got listeners that can't, see what we're talking about so if you go onto the pillars brewery website it's pretty obvious what we're talking about the the bottles aren't your standard shape and hopefully you'll agree with us once you see them i think a lot of people's initial reaction to it is is like is like yours thinking that it doesn't make sense to go into bottles but once you've seen the style of bottle we've chosen i think it makes a lot more sense 
understand you guys are going through a major rebrand process at the moment. We've spoken about the move from cans to bottles, but I'd be curious to get some more background information about what that consists of and, and what's important to, to pillars for you. So I think it's important to highlight why we're rebranding. When we first started out, we, we launched a single product, talked about the Aga, and then we launched Rebel Hellas, and then we launched Pillars Pilsner. The brand evolved in that way. So it, it felt natural to go through a process to bring all of those product brands into one overarching Pillars brand. We've also talked about the naming conventions being wrong, well, we thought they might be wrong with some of the beers and, and that was a key thing we needed to address. So that was kind of the genesis of of why we rebranded. And I think Alex can talk about the details of the, the rebrand for us. Yeah, so we work with this uh, amazing amazing agency, which I just have to shout out called uh, Thunderclass. And they are well and truly a part of the kind of extended Pillars family. But as Gav has mentioned, you know, we're four years old this year. And I think that like many small companies, when you start off, it's a very um, iterative, sporadic process in terms of kind of building a company. And you add a new product and you come up with a, an identity for that product, which is quite distinct because it feels like you're a small company and there aren't many uh, different offerings you have. So you kind of need to make each one very unique and compelling and I think that we got to a point where as an organization we really we found where we sit in the market the rebrand process was us just taking a step back and saying what are we doing why are we doing it and how can we do it in the most engaging way possible so it's not just you know the moves of bottles it's the fact that um, again as Gav has mentioned you put a lot, a lot of emphasis on making the lager style very clear the lager style is far more prominent on a lot of our branding than the Pillars branding is itself. And I think that just goes back to that point I made earlier of creating something, uh, like kind of a visual language around lager. Um, that's, for me, what was really important in all this is, is creating something which is just totally distinct, as, as we are almost um, in, in craft beer in the UK, um, creating something which people can associate with lager. You know, a lot of craft ales are branded with kind of very abstract images or right. artwork. Um, and we've gone for the other uh, uh, approach. We've gone with something very kind of old fashioned and traditional. And I think that stands us in good stead. And it kind of just reinforces this fact that we aren't trying to compete with most other craft breweries and we are complementary to them. Um, it's not something which is trying to take craft ale breweries on their own game. It's us saying, let's find a way of expressing how unique we are in the market. And I think that that process has been so informative for us as a group of people and as an organisation. And I think coming out of it, although I would advise no one to launch a rebrand in the middle of a global pandemic, that's just a bit of advice for your listeners. But coming out of this process, we've learned so much as a group of people, as a group of, and I think we are so much stronger for it. I think it's given us like a real clarity and a vision for where we go forward. So I think, yeah. you know, it's just brought the last four years together, honestly. So let's talk a bit more about the the establishment of the brewery in 2016. So you guys are based in Walthamstow. You've got a brewery and a tap room, I guess, in the same building there. So sort of paint me a picture of, of that. I haven't had the, the opportunity to visit myself. So we were founded in 2016. We're based in Walthamstow. We're on Ravenswood Industrial Estate with lots of other brilliant businesses, including Wildcard Brewery, God's Own Junkyard, which has the largest collection of neon signs outside of the States. Oh, wow. So it's a really <laughs> interesting like experience to go and see their showroom, Mother's Ruin Gin Palace, which is a, a gin bar and a, a small distillery. And there's various other businesses on the on the estate. So collectively, it's quite a nice place to come and spend your weekend afternoons. So we 
chose Walthamstow to start because I was living in East London back in 2013 and we wanted to stay in East London and we recognised that there's lots of great small businesses operating in Walthamstow and opening in Walthamstow and that it was it felt like a really a proper community. Walthamstow felt like it had a a genuine community um, and having worked in in zone one for so long sometimes london feels like it doesn't necessarily have that and we love working there There's, the atmosphere is amazing all the small businesses support each other our pub that we operate from st james street is part of a essentially a group of small businesses that have opened up in shipping containers right and the collaborative effort that we've found has just been a great experience so i'm really really happy that we chose walthamstow to paint a picture of the brewery we are currently doing around 750,000 pints a year. The space is quite full, but we have recently, so pre-COVID, we were hitting our capacity. So we ordered some expansion equipment, which includes upgrades to the the brew house and some additional tanks. Hmm. So we're looking to increase the capacity by 30%. So another quarter of a million pints a year, that should be coming in March. The timing of that sounds very strange, but we genuinely feel that once COVID is finished, hopefully by the summer, we'll be back to where we were and, and we'll be pushing into that new capacity straight away. So it's a difficult thing to predict. Obviously, there's lots of our customers and pubs in real trouble at the moment and our hearts go out to them. I mean, it's a pretty devastating situation. Um, is, but yeah. assume, assuming everyone comes out okay, which we're obviously hoping for everyone, then the brew expansion still makes sense. I completely understand um, that. And so, so what's the size of the tap room in terms of how many beers are you pouring? What, what's the capacity? Non-COVID restrictions. Non-COVID restrictions, we would have around 14 tables outside in the summer. So about 80 capacity outside. And then inside, we've got another room for another 10 tables. So it's another oh. 60 inside. With COVID, it's about uh, 40% of that, I would say. And obviously, the outside space is much better suited to the summer. But we're still open in the winter. We've just gone through a taproom refit during COVID lockdown. We've spent our time improving the taproom. And we are in the process of putting some really solid central heating in there. Because one of the main difficulties in, in running a brewery is, is essentially in an industrial unit with a very high ceiling. And it's quite hard to heat. So we've we've fixed that problem now. Which, or we're in the process of fixing that problem so it's going to be it should be an all-year-round venue so we'd encourage people to come and check us out in the winter as well we are now pouring four guest lines and four of our own lines okay great. so typically that means we have our three core beers which is the hop lager and ipl we have a heller's lager and our pilsner right. and then the fourth pillars line is our seasonal special so at the moment that'll be our doppelbock which is seven and a half percent um brewed over six months and uh keg conditioned beer it's mm. it's absolutely uh, it's my favorite beer that we brew yeah i'd probably um, be mine as well and the sounds of it <laughs> you just got to drink it in uh, moderation well, um, you've got the ice box which is oh yeah, yeah well, that, 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 that is, could be my new favorite in a minute we'll try it. That <laughs> so the ice box is, is very similar it's a freeze concentrated version of the doppelbock mm-hmm. um and then we have four guest lines so in the summer we'll always have a cider and three guest airlines in the winter sometimes we drop the cider and put another airline on and the same is true at our pub, which I've already mentioned down at St. James Street, which yep. is the other end of Walthamstow, mm-hmm. which is part of that collaborative collective group of businesses. Um, yep. We run the alcohol license for the site. There's five different restaurants also on the site selling things from pizza to Vietnamese to there's a vegan burger place. So the lineup there is very similar. We'll have four of our beers and also four guest lines there. It's a model that seems to work because as a lager-only brewery, we want to and, and need to be inclusive. Definitely. Yeah. So 
if we just sold lager, we don't think that it's the right thing to do. So we sell our lager and also give people the option to drink fantastic local ales. At the tap room, have you got space and do you have events, live bands? Obviously, we're talking sort of non-COVID restrictions, but what's the type of social setting there? Occasionally run events for specific things. And the biggest event that we run every year normally, which is not happening due to COVID, is, is an Eat or Heat charity event where Eat or Heat is a local charity food bank that is very close to our hearts. We try to support them as much as possible. And basically, there's a big music event that all of the businesses on our industrial estate get involved in. And a couple of thousand people come across the venues. And that's a really, really fun event. Seems so alien now, hmm. thinking how many people we managed to get in the space it just it doesn't seem like it's going to happen anytime soon but that's the biggest event we run and then we run live music for specific events that we will advertise so birthday events new right. years things like that but it's, it's more of a chilled out atmosphere so you come grab a few pints we've always got a food vendor outside selling all sorts of street food so it's, it's much more of a relaxed venue rather than a, a music venue right sounds great yeah so the, the tap room is, is quite a chilled out vibe where you mm-hmm. can kind of come in, you can spend some time savoring the beers and you can speak to the staff about you know, the different styles and what's going on at Pillars. Yep. And the crate site, mm-hmm. because there's lots of different businesses there, it, it's a really bubbly environment down there. There's lots mm-hmm. of stuff going on, going on all the time. There's pretty much always a DJ playing. There's, there's been comedy. There's been all sorts of events that we've hosted, local events. So, yeah, there's two very different experiences coming out of the uh, Pillars sites. Fantastic. Sounds great. Yeah. I thought very hard about the big challenge in my mind about being a lager-focused brewery, and that is the absurd price point that packaged beer is driven down to by the macros and the the challenge that you face justifying multiples of those unit prices for what is, of course, a craft product that costs a lot more for you guys to make and hopefully will taste a lot better. And so I'm curious to get into that. I totally get your business model for draft beer, because draft lager sells at relatively premium price, considering how crap the macro product is. So <laughs> yeah. you can presumably charge a, an equally premium price for your product. But when you can buy a dozen 440 cans for, for nine quid or whatever from Tesco's, that doesn't give you much room to manoeuvre if you're trying to sell a Pilsner or a, a clean lager. And running a lager brewery is extremely difficult because we have very major competitors that uh, offer extremely low prices and it takes us to brew a lager properly like the germans do it takes us six weeks to manufacture whereas we could turn around an ale of the same quality in two or three weeks yeah so you need twice as much equipment Mm -hmm. you need more specialist equipment because you have to be when lager is such a nuanced fine drink that if you make any mistakes it's very obvious so it has to be brewed very well to to even be enjoyable so those challenges put together make it very difficult to start a lager brewery on a small scale because the only way you can really make a lager brewery work is is when it's much it's a volume-led business but that's not really what we're about we're about focusing on really good lager quality offering someone a local option there's some fantastic lagers in germany but they're all imported obviously Mm. so we wanted to be a brewery that was offering that standard of lager but was brewed in the uk and people could relate to it as something local. The price points that we are kind of facing in terms of competition, Dalek's point that seven in 10 beers worldwide consumed our lagers. So that's obviously very valuable to these big macro breweries. So the, the lager lines in any pub or in most pubs will be by far the highest pourers and yep. therefore they are tied up the tightest by these big companies. Yeah. So our biggest challenge is trying to work with people that have 
essentially contracted themselves into pouring a certain lager for a number of years. And that doesn't necessarily happen with the, the, the lower volume lines. Or it, it definitely does happen, but it doesn't happen to the same extent. No. So that's the main challenge we have with lager is lots of it's tied up in big commercial agreements and the price point is is very low so starting lager brewery lots of brewers said we were mental even attempting it it's something that i really wanted to do obviously we, we enjoy drinking lager we definitely enjoy uh, making it when we started the brewery back in 2016 there was already 100 breweries in london we needed to do something different and I, the, the main reason that we're still uh, there is another london-based lager specialist that started since we started but the reason that in four years since we started, there's only been one, whereas there's probably, I don't know the numbers, but there's 50 times more other ale breweries that have started is for that very reason. It's it's just highly competitive. Price points very low and the upfront startup costs are very high. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just just again to kind of build on what Gav said, I mentioned before that we're not necessarily competing with a lot of other craft breweries for, for exactly those reasons. The craft ale scene is incredibly strong and it's also incredibly competitive. And as Gav mentioned, you know, there are in every pub, there are two or three lines pouring that will rotate fairly often. So we're actually facing a very different challenge to um, most other breweries in terms of we are trying to go into a pub and say to them you should replace what is probably your biggest pouring product with something that as you as you pointed out is probably or almost certainly going to be more expensive it might be not might not be familiar to many people but the quality is there and from our perspective our retention rate in terms of when we come on board with a with a, a venue we stick 90% of the time because getting people to make that decision to go with us is the hardest part when they try the beer and when the customers try the beer, it sticks on the bar. And that's why, as I said, we're not really competing with most other craft breweries. We complement them. And yep. I think that that's kind of, that's what we're about. You know, we're not trying to say we're, the lager is better. We're not trying to say the lager is better than craft ale or any other styles of beer. We're just trying to say it's not being given a fair shout. And that's what we see our role as basically at the moment. Yeah. And you don't need to be better than New England IPAs or Pale Ales. So what you need to be better than is Heineken and Carling and whatever other crap they're pouring on the bar at the moment. This is the, not difficult. That, that, that's your target, isn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> and I totally get that. You're not going to get anywhere, are you, in any of these sort of tied houses or big chains because they're all completely sewn up with the macros. But I guess restaurants, independent pubs, and, and other uh, brewery tap rooms, I suppose, uh, is, is your target market for, for draft beer. And, you know, there's a growing number of those, aren't there? Yes, I'd just like to add the way that we combat some of these financial challenges is by operating sites ourselves. So as a strategy, we, we plan to open many more pillars sites. Hmm. We have two. There's plans to open another next year. And we want to roll out a site a year. I mean, that's quite ambitious. We'll see whether we get there nice. for the next, I don't know, uh, X many years. Um, and that generating profit from those sites is going to help us be more competitive in in a market that is very difficult to compete on in price and that's definitely something that is a core part of our business and hopefully we get known for having really good bars great would those be london-based or provincial i guess it, you, you, it could be either yeah we're definitely focusing on london to start with and the next site next year is south london um it's it's by no means signed on the dotted line, but that is the plan. And obviously, COVID is uh, not to keep talking about COVID, but it's delayed that slightly. Um, but yeah, it just comes back to the challenges that we're facing. Is um, we kind of have to have that business model to make it viable. Yeah, I like it. We've talked about the fact that the UK craft beer scene is very focused on ales, and there are so many great ale products out there. I think that 
as with everything, this is a cyclical industry. And there has been this big emphasis on on ale styles for for a long time now. And I think that it's only inevitable that there will be a cycle back towards lager. And I think you're already seeing that. So it's interesting. I I think you can already see that happening, right? And I think that's interesting from our perspective because we've been doing it for four years. We've been fighting this course for four years. It's a great thing for us because I think it's going to open people's minds to the fact that craft and lager are not oxymorons. Those two things are not exclusive. You can be a craft brewer that does lager. Um, and I think over the next few years, we've got some stuff lined up that is all about educating people, all about in- kind of engaging people around lager. And I think that as that, it, as we all cycle back towards lager, it will open up doors for us. It will also raise the standard of lager across the UK craft beer scene, which is a good thing for everyone. Yeah, I think it's a very good point, Alex, absolutely. Absolutely. So I have moved on, and I think you guys may have done as well, to your hop lager. So this was the beer that launched the brewery, previously called Untraditional Lager. Is that right? Or? Yes. Yep. It, it is the beer that we, yeah. So when we first launched as a craft lager brewery, we wanted to launch a really crafty product. So mm-hmm. a session IPL, at the time we launched it, wasn't really prevalent in the market. There's, there's a few of them out these days, some really good ones. But at the time of launching it, it was new. Uh, essentially, it's a heavily dry hopped uh, hoppy lager so the hops we use in this beer are centennial amarillo and simcoe okay it's been brewed the same as all of our beers over six weeks mm-hmm. and then we dry hop it right at the end we do that because we reuse our house yeast for six generations every time we brew uh, so if we were to dry hop during fermentation very difficult to reuse that yeast in yeah. other beers so uh, we come up with a uh, it's, it's not by no means a patented process but something that we've developed ourselves where we draw the beer out of the tank at the end of the process we warm it up up in a separate vessel with the hops it gets recirculated and then it goes back into the tank just before it gets packaged the reason we do that is if you dry hop at too low a temperature you're going to get not great flavor it tastes a bit grassy it's it's much more harsh kind of a hop flavor we condition all of our lagers for four weeks at uh, minus one degrees so there's a bit of a conflict in terms of how do you dry hop when you've got such a cold temperature and mm. um, so we, we developed the process to do it right at the end in a separate vessel at basically room temperature so that's how that beer is is made as you say it launched it launched the brewery this is quite close to my heart it was previously our weakest selling core product although in Walthamstow it was our highest selling product so right. when you get to know the beer people mm. people genuinely love it or they they definitely it's definitely their preference so um, we came to the conclusion that calling it untraditional lager was a mistake because people didn't know what they were buying. Right. Uh, people that normally drink pale ales see lager and they wouldn't drink it. Mm. And people that normally drink lager would drink it and think it's way too hoppy. Mm. So we've simplified the name. We've called it hop lager just to prevent that from happening. And hopefully that gets more people trying it than previously trying it. Because I think once you've tried it, you'd, you'd go back to it. But it's that initial kind of hurdle that we we were probably getting wrong. So that was quite a big decision we made. It's interesting. It would have been uh, a difficult because... decision seeing as it was the your launch name. And so it would, wouldn't have been an easy thing to say, oh, actually, we you know we need to move away from that. But It was a tough decision, as, especially mm. because, as I said, locally in our, in our venues, it's drunk. It's the biggest selling drink. Mm. We even named the pub, the untraditional pub, yeah. after, after that beer. Mm. Because it, it is an untraditional setting. It's, you know, it's a, it's a shipping container site, so it fit really well. But we're going to keep the pub called the untraditional pub because it's true to our heritage. But the beer has changed to hop lager. Nice. And I think it's lovely. This would be my preference if I was going to choose from your... I mean, I've not had the hells yet, so, you know, I can't, can't comment on that. But from amongst the 
the sort of the clean lagers, if you want to call them that. I don't know if that's even a phrase, but I'm going to use it anyway. That this this would definitely be my my favourite. This is delicious. Thank I you. Think, I think again, right. So to kind of position this in in what we do, if you think about the pilsner as a sort of entry level classic lager style, the IPL is a fusion. You know, it's a fusion <laughs> of what craft ale is all about mm. with what craft lager is all about. Um, it's the light body of the pilsner. It's that kind of recognisable, crisp, golden flavour, but it's got a hopped finish, which I think a lot of people who are kind of tentative or uncertain about lager, I think when you explain to someone this is actually a lager, a lot of people are surprised to see that a lager can have uh, the qualities you associate with pale ales and IPA. So it's a really interesting style. I think it's something which, as Gav said, it's our biggest seller locally, despite the fact that the naming convention perhaps wasn't the clearest. So I can only imagine how far it would go now, now I've got playing hop lager. <laughs> and do you play with the hop bill? Because with that mix of hops, obviously they're varying year to year in terms of flavours. Is that something that you tweak regularly or are you still sort of sticking religiously to what it was in 2013 or whatever when you first invented the recipe? It's, it's, definitely, it's definitely been tweaked slightly over the years. Um, and every time we get a new hop harvest, so Typically in the Northern Hemisphere, they get harvested in September time, yeah. towards the end of September or early October. So we t- typically get those hops in January. That's the time where we'll be running some tests to try and keep it consistent. Yeah. But you're right, it does need it does need a little bit of, of tweaking in, in that period. And then once we've landed on, on that, as long as we've sourced the hops from the same farm and the same supplier, uh, we will stick to that for a whole year. And then, right. and then we'll reassess it every time we get a new batch of hops. Makes sense. Yep. Very good. Gentlemen, I think we should probably take a short break. This Week in Craft Beer is sponsored by Polykeg, offering a simple solution to deliver your beverages around the world in prestige condition. Available in sizes from 12 to 30 litres with connectors to suit any market and with a nine-month shelf life, Polykeg is your number one choice for one-way kegs. Ready to fill, upside or downside, with built-in pressure relief for extra safety and recycling. For a free sample or demonstration, call 01388 433 433 or visit I am back with Alex and Gav from Pillars. And I would like, guys, to get into the second half of the show by asking you how to differentiate yourselves. What makes you unique? What is your special positioning that people should understand about Pillars when they're considering craft lager in the UK market? So I think we've touched on it earlier. We are a, a lager specialist brewery, which means mm-hmm. that we only brew lager. And that is fairly unique in the UK. Certainly within London, there's only two of us. Um, and there's, I don't know what the official figure is these days, but north, certainly north of 100, it's probably close to 150 now in London. So we are uh, less than 2% of, of the London market is, is a lager specialist. Um, so that definitely makes us unique. But I think the real question is what makes us different to those big lager producers that we're competing with? And my answer to that would be that we are really community focused. We're essentially a family run business. We work with friends. We have 17 staff now, but the management team, along with Alex and the media team are all family and friends. And we, I think that kind of working environment makes us a more approachable brand than than some of the big guys the fact that we've we're small and focused on on quality makes us very different to the large macro lager breweries so just to explain the process of brewing lager to some some of the listeners we take six weeks to brew the lager so we do a primary fermentation which takes roughly two weeks and then the beer is conditioned for another four weeks 
Um, the big macro lager breweries can turn beer around in five days. So yeah. Carling will turn it around in five or six days, maybe less. And the process is completely different. So they will brew a high gravity beer, maybe eight, nine percent, and then they'll water it down into several different beer styles. So you could have one factory pumping out beer Moretti, Foster's and Stella. Um, I'm just guessing yeah. brands, um, but yeah. essentially you can have three major brands that come from the same factory and start with the same beer and essentially are produced in a completely different way. So we produce our lagers in a very traditional German way, the same as you would get in Germany, because they have the Bavarian purity laws, the Reinheitsgebot, which yep. basically force them to brew it in a certain way and it guarantees a high quality. So we, we're we definitely um, led by that quality standards. Sorry to interrupt your flow, uh, Gab, but a dumb question from my perspective, but do the German purity laws prevent that sort of fast tracking of the of the brewing process that you were just describing that the macros sort of resort to so so is it you know is it the case that that even the, the mass produced german lagers that that conform to the purity laws therefore take six weeks to, to produce yes i think they might produce them in four or five weeks i mean mm-hmm. i've never worked in one of those breweries but certainly a lot longer than some of the macro brands that we get i like to call it fake lager so it, it tastes like lager but it's produced in a way that, like that. <laughs> isn't really lager when it's essentially a german product to start with and then it's just been kind of adapted in in a way to make it cheaper which has a huge impact on the quality and when i grew up that's all i drank it was uh, before craft beer was a was a major force i was drinking big macro lagers and i hadn't realized that it was being brewed in a completely different way to to the way it, it had it had originally been and there's a huge impact in quality um when you drink one side by side so we just it's a in terms of your question on point of difference is we're bringing properly brewed lager to the UK market like the Germans would, but you've got a local London offering going to be fresher and also local. So that's, that's what we're all about. I've got a point actually that I was going to just volunteer to build on your unique positioning. And that is your uh, retail focus as well. The fact that you've got two bars and are planning to build out a chain of bars is, is a significant differentiator as well compared to the other craft lager breweries that i'm aware of yeah uh, we're very fortunate that three of our founders so omar Eamon, and sammy they're all brothers come from a retail background so previously to starting the pillars brewery they operated and ran a retail business so their experience is invaluable in allowing us to have this two-pronged approach of being craft brewery in the traditional sense of brewing beer to sell to pubs and restaurants uh, but also we have the expertise and, and knowledge to be able to roll out a series of bars uh, very effectively and they, yep. they do a fantastic job of operating these sites so i'm very fortunate to be working with them fabulous we spent some time gents talking about pilsner and the hop lager but yep. i know you guys have a much broader range than what i clumsily called clean lagers earlier on i don't know whether that's even a thing but is there a category that you would use to describe the the lighter end of the the lager portfolio i don't know but we would probably just call them bright or light lagers so basically lagers that are straw colored um which most people can relate to but the important point on lager is it's as broad as the ale spectrum in terms of, of the types of beers you can produce. So the main difference between lager and an ale is the yeast you use. So a lager yeast will be bottom fermenting and ferment at lower temperatures, yep. which produces less esters and a cleaner product. But the ingredients we use are the same as ale. So we can create all sorts of interesting products with that yeast. It just so happens that most people are used to drinking Pilsen's or Hellas, mm. uh, which is the straw-coloured 
blonde lagers that you typically get on the market. But as a lager brewery, obviously lager specialists, we bring out lots of different lagers and we have, we always have a seasonal lager on draft. The plan next year is to bring out even more specials, but the current special we've just brought out is our Pillars Icebox, which we're oh, trying now. We are. <laughs> so that's a top, that's a d- a doppelbock that's been freeze concentrated into a stronger beer so it, it, it's stronger in alcohol it's stronger in flavor and by freezing it rather than just brewing a higher gravity beer we stress the yeast less so it's a cleaner product than had we just brewed with more malt the doppelbock is also about to be launched alongside the ice buck which is essentially the same beer that hasn't been freeze concentrated and that will be available in kegs but for people that aren't aware of what a doppelbock or ice buck is is essentially a caramelly quite dark amber lager that is very malt driven we've used centennial hops and amarillo hops in this but it, it, the flavor is predominantly driven from from the caramel malt yes. um, profile yeah. that we've used it's beautiful the the tasting notes on the bottle say this is the uk's first ice box yearly releases a nine-month labor of love a rich silky lager with a caramelized toast-like character brewed using freeze concentration for intense full body flavor 10% abv yeah this is pretty special i think a really really pleasing warming winter drink i love it <laughs> yeah well with uh, sweet desserts especially chocolate desserts or cherry desserts it definitely is a labor of love um we basically sell it at a cost but we love we love making it and it's it's uh, just something that we love to drink as well this is very reasonably priced on your website it was 30 quid for six is that right i think that's exceptional value for money for for a beer that's had this much effort to to brew you know yeah i think as a brewery we we want to be accessible and this beer is it's a one-off vintage product that we want people to have so Mm. the fact we've priced it reasonably is is a reflection of the fact that it's it's not a money spinner for us but we Mm. we really want people to try and experience what lager can be because it's definitely something they won't expect and that's it's really important for us to get that message out so we don't want to price people out while we're trying to demonstrate that lager can be really interesting and you know being the uk's first ice block you know we've got a huge amount of reaction from it um both from the public and and from trade because it's not just the the technical style of the beer it's the fact that someone would go through this pretty laborious process to produce this beer uh, and then make it so accessible. And I think for us, it just highlights what we're actually trying to achieve here. We're not just trying to brew beers and sling them. We are, like every, every beer is a labour of lava pillars, but I think the Icebox, you know, with the hand-finished wax seal that you've probably been appreciating, Rob, which... Uh, absolutely, yeah, if it was absolutely. One, if it's one of the first batch, that's from my fair hand, so you can thank me for that. Um, is that right? Thank you. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So, you know, a lot of love goes into it right until, you know, we hand-pack everything we we are there on, at the coalface making this happen and i think it would be a shame for us to go through the process of making the ice block and then make it not accessible to people so yeah that that's kind of for us it's, it's a great highlight product it draws a lot of people in it draws a lot of people who are very interested in the kind of niche styles of beer and it also really surprises people that you can get a lager which is sweet which is caramelized mm. which is toasty because it's not something you associate with lager you associate it with you know flat warm cellars and carlings so let's talk about your other non-straw colored lager output then because this is the end of the production that i'm personally more interested in and i'd love to get a sense from you of how frequently you're brewing black lagers for example which i'm particularly fond of but also you, you mentioned a doppelbock i guess you do a, a marson a fest beer uh, and other darker styles so give me a sense 
gather what percentage that sort of represents of your total output and how frequently you brew in these kind of beers? So we look to brew a seasonal special every two, two or three months. Okay. We're hoping to make that more frequent next year as we expand the brewery. The core beers have taken up a lot of our capacity prior to lockdown, so we needed the expansion to be able to do what we wanted. But essentially, we do, as you said, a Marzen, Toberfest kind of style beer yeah. in September, October. The Doppelbock gets released normally in November, but we've delayed that to December. Icebox gets released in, in December. January, February, we typically bring out some sort of amber lager, sort of autumnal yeah, amber colour lager. Um, yeah. And then as we go through into the summer, we typically bring out, we had a tropical pilsner last summer, okay. uh, which we had guava um, and passion fruit in it nice. and yeah. that is that is a light lager um, mm-hmm. but it's one of our specials yeah um we have brewed a black lager in the past we did a chocolate and orange black lager which we put 40 kilos of cocoa nibs into and 10 kilos of, of uh, orange zest essentially nice. that was a really fun beer to brew mm-hmm. so we're constantly brewing different styles of lager but yeah there's always one seasonal yeah. uh, special pillars special available throughout the year but that's uh, mostly just to, to give you give more. you that sort of rotating keg line on on your own bars, or does that get pushed out into distribution as well? Some some of those uh, specials, a bit of both. So we obviously we want to keep it interesting in our venues, but equally we want to be able to offer customers something different. Alex touched on the fact that we tend to be very sticky once we win a customer. The retention rate is very high, and yeah. that's that's often because they've taken a core beer. But we do engage with customers that will take beer on rotation and those types of customers want special beers so we we brew special beers for those guys and it really fits with what we're trying to achieve in terms of being a lager specialist is trying to show people that lager isn't just the hellers and pilsers that they're used to there's a lot more to that category of beer some people assume lager is just one style but it's it's a whole subcategory of beer exactly the same as ale so we feel like it's part of who we are is is trying to tell people that lager is and can be extremely interesting i think it's your civic duty nothing less one of the other uk beer podcasts that i'm quite friendly with i actually guested on their show earlier this year is called the beer fridge podcast and one of their guys asks every brewer that they interview to brew a particular beer style that everybody almost sort of laughs him off the show each week and so as a tribute to that i'd like to raise a possible recipe with you which is, and I have actually drunk this beer at a brewery in New Jersey called Beach House, which is a lovely place about midway down the, the New Jersey coast, sort of heading down towards Atlantic City from New York. And the beer in question was a peanut butter black lager. And it was one of the most memorable craft beers I've drunk in the last three or four years. And if you guys produce a peanut butter black lager, just, just send me a bill for 10 cases of it because I'm, you know, just, I will, I'll take as many as I can fit in my garage. We've got some good friends in London from Hamilton Brewery who brew a peanut butter stout called Crunch and it's absolutely delicious. Mm. So I can see why that would work, especially with a black lager, which is essentially a stout, but it's much cleaner, much drier, less sweet, easier to drink. I can just see that being a real winner. So yeah, why not? I mean, we definitely will do that one day. But this time next year. Yeah. <laughs> um, that is a fantastic idea. I think that would sell well. Nice. All right. I'm happy with that. I'll settle for that at this stage. But I'd like guys just to have a quick conversation about homebrewing lager because 
2020 is almost a year of homebrewing, it seems to me. The lockdown has given everybody, or not everybody, but a lot of people the incentive to get into homebrewing. The quality of the equipment that you can buy on a on a small scale is extraordinary these days. So homebrewing seems like it's something that people can actually get to grips with now. But lagers, how did you do that? And what advice would you give to people that are figuring out whether they can homebrew a lager? So there are several things that I could talk about when it comes to homebrewing lagers. There, are, as you mentioned, there's some really great kit that you can get these days, which will help you control mash temperatures very well, which is important in brewing lagers. So grain fathers, for example, they're not cheap, but if you want to create a good work, then that's that's definitely the way forward. But the biggest challenge with brewing lagers at home is going to be fermentation and controlling fermentation temperatures. Yeah. So the biggest challenge in brewing any lager is is fermentation and that's because you need a level of accuracy to control the temperature of of the fermentation at any one point and it, it changes quite frequently so there's several different steps in that process and um, we've tweaked ours over the years and we've landed on a what we think is best and i think lots of different breweries do it slightly differently but controlling the temperature of the fermentation can generate completely different results so that's the biggest challenge um what we did when we were brewing at home in the shed is we bought two secondhand chest freezers um <laughs> and we we wired them up to what they called microcontrollers or microcomputers which gives them makes them sound way better than they are but essentially it's just like a box with an led screen on it it tells you the temperature and there's a electronic thermostat probe that goes into the freezer yeah. and it will turn the freezer on to cool it down and it will turn on a heat uh, we put a heat i think called a heat mat that was also connected to that controller in there it will heat it up so it regulates the temperature that way so you, you do need quite a bit of space especially when we were banging out what we were in terms of four batches every six weeks so we had we had two chest freezers two two carboys in each in each chest freezer but that wow that was so fun like i really enjoyed that that was hmm. A fantastic experience to, to learning how to brew lager in that way, I think really set us up because it is very hard when you don't have the level of control that you really need. So yeah. you do learn you do learn a lot by by doing that. But yeah, I think the space is a is a key thing. Yeah. Well, it sounds pretty daunting, doesn't it? Hmm. I can see why people start with with pale ales and uh, <laughs> and, and English bitters well, we now run on, the... on their homebrew kit. <laughs> For the last three years, we've run the UK's largest homebrewing competition, uh, lager competition. Oh, nice. Um, well, we haven't run it, sorry. We've hosted it. Yeah. So it's run by the Homebrewing Association. So the festival's called Lager Than Life, um, and it's growing every year. So this current year, it was we had it in February. Hmm. Um, oh, good. Good timing. <laughs> we had, yeah. yeah, we had, I think, roughly 200 different beers. Uh, across various different categories. So we had Heller Styles beers, Pilsen's beers, um, low ABV, high ABV. We had crossover products like IPLs. We had a, a strong dark lager competition, which you had the doppel box and your black lagers. It was awesome. And it does show you that people are out there brewing lager at home. Yeah. Um, and I was surprised with with how good it was. The quality was, was very high. So it is possible, uh, but it just takes a lot of commitment, I would say the shout out to the little guy and here i invite you to mention a small local beer business probably walthamstow based although it doesn't have to be which you're particularly impressed by it might be another brewery a tap room a bottle shop somebody that isn't necessarily just serving pillars but is serving the furtherance of craft beer in the local area so there's a an amazing community pub in walthamstow 
called the Rosen Crown that is wet led. They mm-hmm. they do Sunday roasts, but they don't sell any other food. And to find pubs that still operate in that way is very unusual. Yeah. Because food is a core part of most pub business models. And that just shows how much of a local following they have. I think the pandemic has hit them especially hard. I think like all pubs, but what they are amazing at is being a proper community pub. They're supportive of lots of local initiatives. The fact that they managed to crowdfund their target in eight hours during the pandemic was was unprecedented. Wow, and they were on fantastic. Channel 4 News and they were on BBC <laughs> News as well. So they're very well respected. Mm. East London Pub of the Year this current year. So the cask offering they have is exceptional. Mm. And yeah, it's just the type of pub we, we love to work with being so community driven and they're not by any means a little guy they're a great very successful pub but in terms of someone we want to shout out i think i think that would be it anything else i mean it's not it's not necessarily beer related but another we i just wanted to mention that uh, eat or heat as a local charity is some someone we work with very closely and they're an amazing food bank in the local community and it's definitely worth mentioning those guys because they do a fantastic job especially this time of year when it's very cold and we try to support them as best as possible i mentioned the the annual festival we do yeah. and we've also i mean this is going to sound like a plug but it genuinely isn't we just massively respect those guys but we've got a cheese and beer box online in our online shop where we every box that's bought we are donating five meals to that charity so nice. we work very closely with them and we want to promote them so if anyone's listening and, and wants to support them then it'd be great if you go online and go to eat or heat and i'm sure you can make a donation in some way fantastic nice. and whilst, okay. we're, nice. whilst we're on the subject gav let's talk about where people can go to buy some of your fabulous lagers, in particular the Icebox. I think most people are going to be probably looking to buy the, the six-pack after listening to this conversation. So how do they go about that? So the best place to find those beers will be in our online shop. So if you Google Pillars Brewery or go to pillarsbrewery.com and click on the shop, all of our products, our merchandise, our Christmas beer boxes that I mentioned, the Eat or Heat box, that's all on there. And... We'd like to offer all of your listeners uh, a discount code for listening and putting up with us chat this <laughs> evening. So um, there's a 10% discount on our online shop if you use the code TWICB. So Fantastic. this week in craft beer. So, yeah, I would encourage people to, to get on our online shop. Fantastic. Thank you very much for that. Gents, really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Um, I will hopefully get the chance to come and visit you soon. Thank you, Rob. Uh, yeah, we look forward to you coming to visit. Yeah, it's been great chatting to you. Thanks again. Yeah, you said it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Coming up in the next few weeks, we have interviews with some of the UK's most exciting craft breweries. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you decide to subscribe to the podcast so you receive each episode automatically every Tuesday morning. If you enjoy the podcast, please tell your friends and leave us a review in your podcast app. It really helps others to discover the show. Full details on all our podcasts can be found at thisweekincraft.beer. You can also follow This Week in Craft Beer on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. <laughs>